Let's look to our Lord in prayer. Dear God, we are so thankful to be together. Thank you for the prayers that have been prayed, for the songs that have been sung, for the testimonies given. God, you are powerfully at work. And it may not be in these earth-shattering ways, but we still feel you close. We sense your presence. And God, we need you. We want you. We invite you into this time now to open up our minds and hearts to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have, uh, if you're using a pew Bible, it's page 824. Page 824. And we're in Galatians chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 6. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Let me read this for us. Here Paul goes on to say, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the one thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. The theme that Paul started this epistle with is continuing to be emphasized. There is one true gospel that outlines the only way of salvation, which is through faith in Christ and the work that he accomplished for us on the cross. Back in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. It seems like they're pretty harsh words, (laughs) strong words. And these words are continued here in our passage. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was portrayed, publicly portrayed as crucified? So Paul's asking them this question. Who bewitched you? Who tricked you? Who deceived you? Who placed you under an evil spell? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. You heard the truth. You had it presented simply, clearly, accurately. You partook of the bread and wine which symbolized the Savior's body given for you. His blood shed for you. Then in verse 2. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? How did it happen? How did the Spirit come into your life? When someone puts their faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in that person's life. He comes to make them his home, his dwelling place. How did you receive the Spirit, Paul asks? Was it by the works of the law, or was it by hearing with faith? Well, it's kind of a rhetorical question. There's only one way to receive the Spirit, 
And it's through hearing the message of the gospel, believing it, receiving it, accepting it by faith. Remember what Paul wrote to the Galatians back in chapter 2, verse 16? Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Well, maybe if I try harder, maybe if I work more, maybe if I give more, well, we can't work our way to God. We can't keep a series of laws and make ourselves perfect in his eyes. We can't pray enough prayers, do enough deeds, attend enough church to become holy in God's sight. We're all guilty of breaking the law of God, and we're declared to be sinners. What we have a hard time with is when we say salvation is a free gift, that all we have to do is believe, receive it, accept it by faith. It flies in the face of our human way of thinking. We don't get something for nothing. What's it going to cost me? Really? Come on. What do I have to pay? What can I do to, you know, to earn it? You know, I was thinking of that this past week. I had uh, taken a couple of my grandkids out, actually two weeks ago, and uh, it was one of their birthdays, and I brought them to Toys R Us and let, them, let the older one pick out a toy, and then the younger one wanted something. I said, okay, you can get something too. You know how it is when you're grandparent, right? Everybody gets presents. <laughs> so anyway, the younger one picked out something. It came to $20, and that was a little bit more I wanted to spend on a secondary gift, kind of, because it wasn't his birthday, but it was okay. And then he started feeling bad about it because his older sister was saying, you know, it's my birthday. You shouldn't be getting a present, and you should be happy that Grandpa spends anything on you. And So he felt bad, so he reached into his pocket, and he had a dollar. And he pulled it out. He goes, Grandpa, here's a dollar. And I thought, it was such a nice thought. But a dollar isn't going to do much. <laughs> and that's how we are with God sometimes. God says, I paid for your sin by the offering of my son on your behalf. I've given the life of my own son. Oh, really, God? But let me contribute toward that. Here's a penny. <laughs> you know, when we give toward it, what do we have to offer God? When you consider the incredible sacrifice that he made for us. The something for nothing is not because it's not worth something. It's not because it didn't cost something. It's just that we didn't have to pay for it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For while we're still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And in Isaiah, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Salvation is a free gift because God himself paid the full price for us. There were two brothers, and uh, one older, one younger. The older one was a pretty good guy. The younger one was often in trouble, always doing little things, and he's been arrested several times. And Well, he was in a bar drinking, and he got in a, a fight with someone, and he got so angry that he waited outside that bar for that man to come out. And when he did, he pulled out a knife, and he killed him. He stabbed him. He took his body, dragged it into the weeds, threw it there, and he ran home. And as he looks at his, his clothes, they're covered in blood. And he, he just can't believe He takes his clothes off, throws them in the closet, puts some new clothes on, and runs away to hide. Well, in a short time, the police show up at the house because someone said they saw a man go in that direction. Well, right before the police got there, the older brother, seeing the pile of blood-stained clothes and realizing what his younger brother had did, took those blood-stained clothes and put them on himself. And then the police showed up. They see the man with the blood-stained clothes. You sure look guilty. <laughs> they take him. They arrest him. They try him. They sentence him to death, and he is put to death for a crime that he never committed, but his brother had done story goes on to say that the younger brother felt so bad and so guilty that he went to the authorities. And he said, no, I'm the one that did it. I'm the one that did it. But they couldn't hear it. They said a crime had been committed, a price had been paid. There's nothing more we could do. Well, <clears throat> the guilty was set free because the price was paid. The free gift cost his brother his life. And I love that picture because... There's a scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, where it says, He who knew no sin became sin, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, not only did Jesus take our guilt-ridden garments and cover himself with it, and take all the sin, everything we've ever done wrong, every wrong thought, every wrong deed, every failure to do what's right, and he took all that sin and he covered himself with it, and then he died for us. But he did something else also. To all those who believe, he takes his spotless white garment and he clothes us with it. <laughs> he puts it over us so that when the Father looks at us, he sees people that are holy and pure because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Well, moving on, Galatians 3.3. 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now perfected by the flesh? You started off right. You allowed the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin to show you your need for God, to give you the faith to believe. It was your simple trust, your childlike faith, that brought you into the family of God. So what was it that saved you? It was your faith in what God has done. What will keep you? What will enable you to live the life God calls you to? Well, is it trying to keep the laws? Again, of do this, do that. Eat this, don't eat that. Practice this ritual. Keep these religious holidays. Observe these rules. God is saying it was the Holy Spirit who worked in you, who brought you to Christ, who saved you. And now somehow, are you trying to do it on your own? <laughs> are you saying, well, that was great. Yeah, I, I realize the Holy Spirit brought me into the family of God. 
But now I got this, God. <laughs> you know, I can handle it from here. No. We need God. We need God. Verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? It wasn't easy when the gospel was preached to them. There was persecution. There were difficulties. Um, now, we're not absolutely certain whether this region of Galatia Paul is writing to was the northern or the southern region. If it's the northern region of Galatia, this letter came after his second missionary journey. If it's the southern region, the letter was following Paul's first missionary journey. Now, there's arguments on both sides, but to me, the most significant is that if the letter was written after the council in Jerusalem met, I would think Paul would have referred to that in this letter because that kind of goes along with the points that he's making. Well, if this letter follows his first missionary journey, we read of this historical account in Acts 14, verses 1 through 10. Now, in Iconium, now these are all Galatian, the Galatian region. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved and stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren, therefore they spent a long time there, speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who is testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the, but the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews, and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the city of, cities of Laconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, he said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he leaped up and began to walk. This is what took place in that Galatian, Galatia region. So when Paul asks in Galatians 3, 4, and 5, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? What Paul is saying is that you were eyewitnesses of the persecution and the suffering as well as the miracles accompanying the message of the gospel. And it was their faith in God that allowed God to work in such a powerful way. Now that is essential and something that I just want to consider with you. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. How important is faith? Hebrews 11.6 was read for us this morning. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The only way to be saved is by faith. The only way to live a life that's pleasing to God is to continue to live by faith. Now, the emphasis of this section of Galatians, as well as the entire epistle or letter, is salvation by faith alone. Yet there are also some things inferred here for the believer and how we are to live. And I want to touch on that for a little bit. So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. 
as I stated, what created the atmosphere in which God could do his miraculous work among them was their faith in him. And don't we see this all throughout the ministry of Jesus? Time after time, he says, be it unto you according to your faith. I'm going to list some scriptures for you. Matthew 21, 18 through 22. Okay, there Jesus curses the fig tree. And they come back and they see it's all withered. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen in all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. And then in Mark 2, uh, verses 2 through 12, it talks about uh, that account when, when everybody was gathered and surrounding Jesus and they couldn't get to him, uh, but they wanted to bring their friend to Jesus, the, the paralytic. So four friends take apart the roof and they lower him down by ropes right into the, in front of Jesus. And, and it says, Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the man, your sins are forgiven. And then some of the religious leaders are questioning, yeah, well, it's easy to say forgive your sins, but how about get up and walk? <laughs> well, Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, said, in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, get up, take up your pallet and walk. And it says the man did. He got up in the presence of all and walked. <laughs> and it was in response to the faith the faith of the friends that brought their friend to Jesus. Mark 5, 25 through 34, a woman had a hemorrhage, and she had that for many, many years. And she just thought, if only I could touch Jesus, if only I could get to him and touch him, I know my hemorrhage will go away. And so she kind of sneaks through the crowd, presses her way in, gets to Jesus, and he's surrounded by people, and she touches him. And the moment she does, the hemorrhage is gone. And Jesus stops and he looks around. Who touched me? <laughs> and the disciples, Lord, are you kidding? Everybody's pressing in on you. No, I perceive power went out from me. And finally the woman was kind of cowering a little bit. Said, it was me. <laughs> and he said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Again, it was her faith. Uh, Mark 10, 46 through 52, a blind man. He's yelling out as he hears Jesus passing by. Everybody's like, be quiet, be quiet. No, I can't be quiet. Jesus! Screaming all the more. And then finally he says, bring him to me. What would you have me do for you? Lord, I want to receive my sight. And he said, be it unto you according to your faith. And he healed the man and he gave him his sight back. In Luke 7, 1 through 10, again, here was a centurion who had a servant that was very sick. One that he loved, one that he valued. That servant was sick and dying. And so he says to Jesus, please come to my house. Please heal my servant. And Jesus stops what he's doing and he makes his way over to the servant's house, to that man's house. And the centurion sends word to Jesus. He says, look, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. You know, but I know what it is to be a man of power because I'm a leader. And I say to this one, go and he goes, this one come and he comes. In other words, he was saying, Jesus, you don't have to come. Just speak the word. And Jesus says, he marveled, and he said, I haven't found such faith, not even in Israel. And so it says when they arrived, uh, when, when, uh, at that moment, the, the servant was made well in response to that man's faith. Now, I want to read two scriptures and listen to them. They're a little bit different. Matthew thirteen fifty eight, and he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Mark 6, 5 through 6. 
and he could do no miracle there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he wondered at their unbelief. Confidence in the love, mercy, and grace of God, assurance of his desire and ability to help, enables God to do his miracles in us, for us, and even through us. The key is getting to know God. It's filling your mind and heart with his word. It's an intimate relationship with him where you hear him speak, not audibly, but in your spirit. It's holding on to his promises and not letting go. Has God shared his heart with you? Has he imparted some vision into your soul? Are you holding on to it even though everyone and everything cries out, it can't be true, it can't come to pass, it can't be done? Yet you know God has said it and what he has promised he will accomplish. And so you hold on waiting for your miracle. We were adopting uh, our family. uh, We were adopting five children. They were all siblings. And before the adoption actually was official, I just felt the need to get away with our other kids and and to just kind of regroup and say, you know, our life is about to become absolutely crazy. (laughs) You know, but, but we need this time together. We need to make sure we're all on the same page as a family. And I was really feeling that strong inside. And I felt like it was an impression God was putting on my heart. Well, if God's putting that impression on your heart and you believe it's him saying you need this time, then won't God provide that time? And so someone in our church said, hey, I have a timeshare that I'm not using. Can you, do you take this week and go down there with your family? Like, there's the place. It was a gift given to us. Total surprise. But then I was a little bit more bold, and I said, Lord, I have no money. (laughs) You know, I I don't have any money to spend. And we're going to be there a whole week. Kids are going to want to do things. going to want to play. We're going to want to get special food and have a good time. And, Lord, I could use some money. Now, those of you who have that walk of faith, you know when God is speaking. You know when God has something welling up inside of you, and and you get more bold as you pray. Yes, Lord, I do believe you're going to provide this money that we need. But, Lord, we're leaving this Sunday, (laughs) and today is Friday. (laughs) Lord, I need $1,000, and I need it in a hurry. Well, I just held on to that because it was something God was speaking to me about, and I really believed he was going to provide it. But how? Well, that was up to him. Lo and behold, the mail comes that day. Open up the mailbox. There's a letter in there to the vigilante family. Open it up. Now, this is August, okay? This is in August. And the, the letter was dated April something. I thought April something. Open it up open the letter up, and a check falls out. For how much? $1,000. And there was a note that just said, we really appreciate what you've done, and you know, because the kids have been with us already for a while, taking these kids in, and our elder board of our church wanted to recognize that and say thank you for what you're doing for the kingdom of God. Please accept this gift of $1,000 to use for your family. I mean, my mouth dropped open. You know, we say we believe, but then all of a sudden we're surprised. Oh, how'd that happen? You know, uh, I called the person up who had signed the letter, and I said, what is this? 
They said, oh, we had a board meeting back in April and we talked about your family and how we wanted to reach out to you. And they were authorized to send a check for $1,000, but the check never got written. But we wrote the letter out and finally we saw it in a drawer and we said, oh, no, we never sent it out. Quick, send it out today. And it just happened to come that Friday when God told me to pray. And there are so many more stories I could share with you, you know, of a life of faith. Stories that you have, too. Stories of the goodness of God. My mom was severely demonized. She was into the occult, heavy into the occult. She couldn't even say the name Jesus. And one day, God did a miracle in response to our prayers for her. And it seemed utterly impossible. God saved her that day. And he delivered her. An incredible deliverance. And for the next two years before she died, she was a transformed woman. She gave her heart to Jesus. She cried out, Jesus, be my savior. And it was a miracle. Sharon and I got to spend some time with Andrew and Suzanne. (laughs) You want to hear about a life lived by faith? Talk to those two. You know, they have so many incredible stories. I mean, I could have listened to them for hours and hours and hours of a life lived by faith. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention one final thing. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and work miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. When you came to believe in God, to trust in him for your eternal salvation, what was it like? Was there an incredible love and appreciation for him and all he did for you? Did you just simply adore him? Did you devote your life to him? Did you see miracle after miracle after miracle of God at work? Now, maybe it was in a lot of small things, but to you, they weren't so small. Your trust and faith in him was like that of a little child in their father's arms. What happened to those days? (laughs) Where has our faith gone? Where is our joy, our excitement, our passion? Can he still do miracles for you? Yes. Is he still all-powerful? Is he still a God of love and mercy and compassion who wants to help us, who wants to heal us, who wants to answer our prayers? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you rely on yourself or on God like you once did? Do you trust in yourself or in the God who cares? Have you stopped believing? Have you quit dreaming? Do you look at the enthusiasm in the new believer and silently think, well, they'll get over it once the reality of living life sinks in? Or are you longing for that childlike faith again? To believe, to trust, to hold on to hope. Hope in an an incredible God, a God who is able, a God who is willing, a God who is the same, yesterday, today, and forever. We can trust him. It's the only way to live. Let's pray. 
God, thank you for your incredible love, for your incredible power, and how that power is made perfect in our weakness. God, renew our joy, our passion, our love, our adoration for you. Increase our faith so that we could see the hand of God mighty at work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.